Well, as many of you know, my wife has been gone for a week, and she is back and gracefully reminded me, I was, or she didn't really remind me of that, but I was reminded she was back a moment ago when she asked if my watch was going to sound an alarm when I had gone too long. And uh, I told her she had married the wrong man if she wanted a short sermon. Uh, so, uh, so anyway, grateful to have her back. I, I want to share one thing with you. I, I tell you, I, I don't know if there's three words in all Scripture that, um, that have struck me in a greater way than it is finished has. And it's hard. You know, you, you gather your thoughts and you think you're ready to stand before God's people and preach, and then you sing a song where three little words just completely wreck your soul. Praise God. Praise God that it is finished. It's done. It's done. For all of us who sit in here this morning in Christ, it is finished. It is finished. Man, praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Our story, our story this morning picks up actually in Genesis 11, where a man, a man named Terah was compelled by God to move from his town of Ur and to move towards Canaan. They didn't quite make it to Canaan. They, as circumstances arose, we don't know what those circumstances were, but as, as history has it, they stopped and they settled in the town of Haran, where they stayed with his three sons and family until one day God calls one of his sons, Abram, at the tender young age of 75, to follow him. Now, so certainly we crouch that for, you know, for context that everyone in here um, who at present time is 75 or below certainly can be called of God, but if you're 75 and above, you're not off the hook because Abraham's life that we're going to cover today is going to span at least 25 more years, so I'm pretty sure it's going to cover everyone in the congregation today. So no excuses on age for us this morning. I want to read to you the call of God upon Abraham. It's found in Genesis 12. You can just listen if you'd like, or you can turn there. Genesis 12. The Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives, from your father's house, to the land which I will show you. And I will make you a great nation. And I will bless you and make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the, ones who, the one who curses you, I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth will be blessed. Now this is a, this is a, a pretty sizable promise from the Lord. And so what does Abraham do? He, he obeys and he leaves. He and Abram, it's Abram at the time, he and Abram, or Abram and his wife Sarai leave. They take their nephew Lot with them and they journey to Canaan. Shortly after getting to Canaan, a great famine hits the land and, and they decide to go to Egypt for some relief. As they come into Egypt, Abram, the great man of faith, is stricken by fear of Pharaoh. So what does he do? Does he trust in God? No. He devises a plan. He says, you know what? I'll just lie. We'll lie to Pharaoh and we'll say that Sarai is not my wife. She's my sister. And so that's what they do. He lies. The result is that Sarai is taken into Pharaoh's home as one of his wives until the Lord afflicts his home and he realizes what has been done. He speaks to Abram and says, why have you done this to me? What have you done? Leave. Get out of here. And so Abram and his family go back to the land of Canaan. Shortly after getting to the land of Canaan, the war consumes the valley. It doesn't consume Abram. He stays out of it. 
but war fills the valley until one day his nephew Lot is taken captive. Now, as any good family member does, you can, I can talk bad about my family, right? But you better not talk bad about my family. So when he gets word that Lot's been taken captive, Abram gathers 318 of his best men. He gathers them up and says, let's go get him. So he sends the elite out. They track down the army that has Lot. They come upon them, and they take them by night, and he brings Lot and all his possessions back. Abram, kind of in my head, I'm thinking he's kind of like a Navy SEAL of the patriarchs at this moment. He's gone in, and he's gotten the captive. He's brought him back. This is a pretty, pretty big thing here for Abram to do, an accomplishment, certainly an act of faith. Shortly thereafter, God promises Isaac to Abraham. And Abram believes, Genesis 15, 6 says that Abram believed and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. So, so we see Abram's faith in this moment that, that when God promises, he believes. He, he is an older man, certainly beyond the years for this to naturally happen, but he believes, he trusts. But as the years go on, he and Sarai become disillusioned. They, they lose sight of the promise, and so Sarai has the idea to say, hey, Abram, listen, this just didn't work, and I, I don't know, maybe we misunderstood God, we, we, I, I don't know, but listen, here's the deal, Hagar, our maid, why, why don't you have a child with her? And so Abram, being the great leader he is, says, okay. And so he has a child with Hagar. His name is Ishmael. This certainly leads to years of, of bitterness and contempt. As soon as Ishmael is born, Sarai becomes bitter towards Hagar, and it goes downhill from there. This was at the age of 86, by the way, so we're all getting in there now, right? Thirteen years later, God renews his covenant with Abram. And not only does he renew it, but he gives the sign of circumcision as all who fall under the covenant. So that all the children of Abram would be circumcised. Soon thereafter, he renames Abram and Sarai. Thankfully, because I keep calling him Abraham. So we're thankful we get to that part this morning. He names Abram, Abraham, and Sarai, Sarah. Because they will be the father and the mother of many nations. Their response? They laugh at him. Really? Really? God, have you seen how old we are? <laughs> we're old. We're not having any more children. Can't you use Ishmael? They laugh. Soon, God promises Isaac within a year. The messengers of the Lord come and they say, Within a year, your son shall be born and his name shall be Isaac. They, they're dismayed. They're amazed. In the meantime, Abraham comes to fear a, a local king, King Abimelech. And what does he do again? It's, it's like he rewinds, he uses the DVR, and he gets back to where he was in Egypt. And he lies again. Oh, oh hey, 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 Sarah's not my wife, she's my sister. And again, as it did in Egypt, it did not go well. We come around into Genesis 21, where Isaac is born. All is well. Abraham and Sarah are certainly standing before God in utter amazement of God's grace and God's work in their life. 
So now we have a situation where Abraham's been through a lot. He's been on a great journey of faith. There's been ups and downs. There's been times of great accomplishment. There's been times that he wishes he could forget. He probably, if you know, were there among us now, he would be thinking, we really don't need to bring this up, do we? It was an up and down journey. But now they stand and, and they stand before the Lord and they see how great and awesome God is and they see their son Isaac growing. You, you kinda, I, I kind of have the picture in my head of, of Abraham just kind of sitting back, relaxing and basking in God's goodness. I see God's plan working out. Things are great. Things are great. But then we turn to Genesis 22.1, our passage for this morning, where God rocks the boat. Join me in Genesis chapter 22, verse 1 this morning. Now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here I am. And God said, take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. So, so we, we start right away, and we see there, and now it came about after these things. It's not for certain exactly what things. Does that just apply to chapter 21, or does it apply to all of his journey of faith? Regardless, Abraham comes to this moment in his life with everything behind him, all, all the ups and the downs of life. He comes here, and after all these things, God tests him. God tests him. Now, it's important as we, we stop right here, it's important that we understand that, that it is different for God to test him than it is to tempt him. If you just want to listen uh, briefly to, to uh, James 1, verse 13 and 15, where we read that James instructs, says, let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted by evil, and he himself does not tempt anyone. God does not tempt, God tests but he does not tempt. James will explain that each one is tempted when he's carried away and enticed by his own lust, his own desires. Then when lust is conceived, it gives birth to sin, and when sin is accomplished, it gives forth or brings forth death. That's temptation. That's when we succumb to our desires and our temptations. Here it says that God tested Abraham. God brought a situation into Abraham's life where he has to step back and he looks at every aspect of the situation. And he has to make a decision on what he's going to do. It's a test. God tests Abraham. In verse 2, he says, Take now your son, your only son, whom you love, Isaac. There's no doubt who he's calling him to do, who he's calling him to take. God's very clear. God doesn't say, Hey, pick a son. You got Ishmael and you have Isaac. You pick one. He knew who he would pick. And Abraham would say, Hey, Ishmael, come on, buddy. No. God, God knew who. He was calling Abraham to take. It was, it was Isaac. And he was very clear on that. Take your son, your only son. The one what? The one whom you love. And go to the land of Moriah. Now Moriah is a significant, a significant place. And in 2 Chronicles 3.1, we find out that that's the location of Solomon's temple. It's the location that, that Jerusalem will be found on. But here... God says, go to the land of Moriah. About a three days journey, we'll read in a moment. Go to the land of Moriah and offer him as a burnt offering, a, 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 an offering that signifies complete surrender to God. 
Offer him as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I will tell you. Now this is quite, instru- quite, a, quite a command from the Lord. This is heavy instruction. When all seemed to go well, that now Abraham stands before the Lord and he says, listen, I have given you the son that I promised. Your descendants are going to be as numerous as the stars in the sky, he had said. And it's through Isaac. That's who the descendants would come through. And now God says, take him and offer him up as a burnt offering. So in verse 3, we read, we read of Abraham's response. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning and saddled his donkey and took two of his young men with him and Isaac his son. And he split wood for the burnt offering and rose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham raised his eyes and saw the place from a distance. Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. And I and the lad will go over there and we will worship. And return to you. In, in 1992, I lived in Atlanta. In 1991, uh, everything changed in Atlanta. Ricky, I don't know where Ricky is, but Ricky knows exactly what I'm talking about already. 1991, the Braves won the pennant. This was unheard of, absolutely unheard of. The, the Braves were terrible. They, they were the ones that you, you could go and, and just give away tickets. You, we would buy tickets on the top row for, you know, a dollar, I guess, I don't know, and then we would get to the game and walk down to the front row because there was nobody there. You just got in the, in the stadium and went. In 1991, they won the pennant. The, the city was electrified. 1992, they were great again, and it came down to the National League Championship Series. They were playing the Pirates. If you're an Atlanta fan, you hate the Pirates. That's just how it is. You didn't like them that year. They were neck and neck. Well, they get to the NLCS. They're playing the Pirates. It's game seven. Two outs, the Braves are down by one. Dave Justice is already on, the, on base. Sid Bream is on base. Sid is the slowest man on the planet at that time. And up to bat walks Francisco Cabrera, who's been in the batter's box ten times in 1992. Ten times. Not ten games, ten times in 1992. The pitch comes in and Cabrera makes contact and slaps a single to right field. And my living room went crazy. Dave Justice is fast, so he's standing at home plate going, we're tied, we're tied. And Sid Bream comes around third, and it was the most pathetic sight you've ever seen in your life. I mean, I I think I did my calculus homework while he was running. He comes in to home plate and is safe. And I tackled family members, literally. I mean, it was was crazy. It was crazy. The the Braves found themselves in that moment in in a bottom of the ninth, situation. There, there was no other option. They, they had to make a choice. What was going to happen? The, the season was behind them. All the ups and downs of the season was, was behind them, and they found themselves in this situation, and they had, they, they had to go for it. They went for it. Abraham finds himself in a similar situation, a situation that's a, a bottom of the ninth experience, and, and certainly we come to this, and we, we come to verse three that we just read, and we think, what's he going to do? What's he going to do if, if someone's narrating and telling you the story and you're just listening, you come to this point and the, the, the speaker just pauses and you go, well, what's he going to do? What's he going to do? He's, he's been waiting for Isaac. Isaac is his son whom he loves. He, he's been awaiting him and, and now he's here and, and now God says, take him and, and sacrifice him? What, what, 
what will he do? It's a bottom of the ninth situation. And so Abraham steps forward. It says, so Abraham rose early in the morning. It's faith in action. After years of struggle, mistakes, and victories, Abraham has learned to obey regardless of the situation, regardless of the call, regardless of the command. Listen, we're the same. We've gone through struggles. We've gone through mistakes. We've had accomplishments. We've seen God work. And there's times where God comes in our life and he gives us a command, he gives us a call that just makes our knees tremble. What are we going to do in that moment? What are we going to do at that moment when we stand at the plate, it's the bottom of the ninth and there's no other choice than to get a hit? We stand before God and it's either we trust him or we don't trust him. Abraham has simply learned to trust God. He acted in obedience. So Abraham rose. There's not really any indication here that Abraham sat around. There's really no indication that he, that he sat and said, you know, I'll, let me think about it for a month and then, then I'll follow God. I think Abraham by this point had, had learned that dis, uh, delayed obedience is disobedience. He, he's learned that when God calls, we obey. We just trust him. Even when we don't understand, we trust him. Several years back, we were traveling to Richmond. Our favorite restaurant is up there called Ty Smile. We were traveling up to, to eat at Ty Smile. Well, we were traveling to Richmond. We didn't know where we were going to eat, supposedly. Steph and I, in our minds, knew where we were eating. Well, at the time, uh, he's not like this now, but at the time, there was really one restaurant in Braden's vocabulary, and that was McDonald's. And so we get about halfway up, and Braden says, where are we eating? I don't know, buddy. Let's go to McDonald's. Okay, we will. Braden hated Ty Smile. Well, Sydney hated McDonald's. And so Sydney went, what? McDonald's, McDonald's, you know. And so we, there's this little debate going on on which one's better or worse. And, and I looked up in the mirror to Sydney, and, I, and she, was, she was old enough at the time. maybe, I don't know, two or three years ago. I, I said, Sydney, just trust me. And she kind of looked at me. I said, just trust me. So there we went, the old white bullet up 75, pull into Richmond, we pull into McDonald's, and Sydney, I can see Sydney going, I trusted you, you know, it's turning in her head, she's thinking, I trusted you, I trusted you, maybe last time I trusted you, you know, and, and uh, I go in, I say, you guys stay here, we went in, I got a Happy Meal, came back out, and we headed to Ty Smile with a Happy Meal, Sydney rejoiced, listen, there are times where God calls us to go. He says, just trust me. Just trust me. So he looks at Abraham and he says, Abraham, go. Go sacrifice your son. Present him as a burnt offering. Present him as a burnt offering. So Abraham goes. He trusts him. He doesn't understand. He doesn't know what's going on, but he goes. Until verse 5, we see what a statement of faith. Look at verse 5. Abraham said to his young men, so the helpers that had gone with him, he looks to him and he says, stay here with the donkey. I and the lad will go over there and we will worship and return to you. Now, I don't know about you, but this statement is shocking to me. When I, when I read that, that God has said, Abraham, you need to rise and you need to, to go and you need to present your son as an offering on a mountain that I'm going to show you. And Abraham, he travels for three days, and he gets there, and he sees the mountain in the distance, and he pulls his donkey over to the side of the road, and they get out of the donkey, 
And they're standing there, and he says, okay, you guys stay here. Me and Isaac, we're going to go up the mountain, and we're going to worship, and then we're going to come back to you. I don't know what happened here. We can't fill in the blank. We don't know what's happened in between the lines here. All I can guess is that on a three days journey, Abraham was working things out in his head. And he was thinking through, and everything was going through his mind. He was thinking through everything God had promised and how God has shown himself to be faithful. And, and everything he knew about God was running through the back of his mind. And he kept coming back to Genesis 12, 1 through 3. And he kept saying, God, I know you've promised. I know you've promised that through me and through my descendants, all the families of the earth will be blessed. I know you promised that, God. God, I don't understand. I do not understand, Lord, what in the world am I to do? But if there was one thing that Abraham had learned by this time, it was you trust God. You trust God. You follow him. And so he does it. He follows him, but as he follows him, those three days journey, it's still difficult. He's still thinking, okay, okay, how's this going to work out? What's going to happen? What's God going to do? How's God going to redeem this situation? What are the pros and cons? What are the possible scenarios? You've got to imagine all these things are going through his head. So what he knows to be true is that God has promised that his descendants through Isaac will be as numerous as the stars and that every family on the earth will be blessed through him. He knows that to be true. He knows that God is faithful. He knows that regardless of of what the situation holds and his lack of understanding that God is good, that God is sovereign. He understands these things. And so he trusts God to work it out among, in the midst of his plan. If we turn to Hebrews 11, 17 and 19, we get a little better explanation of this. As this situation is classified in what is known as the hall of faith of Hebrews 11, Abraham's faith is shown to be exemplary. The writer of Hebrews says, By faith Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was offering up his only begotten son. It was he to whom it was said, In Isaac your descendants shall be called. Now listen, here's the key. He, Abraham, considered that God is able to raise people even from the dead, from which he also received him back as a type. So so the writer of Hebrews says, listen, Abraham, he didn't have the understanding we have of looking back from the the foot of the cross. He didn't have that benefit, but somewhere along the line, Abraham had worked out in his mind and in his faith, he had worked it out to trust God. That God was so powerful that if he deemed it necessary and if it was in his plan, he would bring Isaac back from the dead. So he was willing to sacrifice his son. Because he considered that God was able even to raise Isaac from the dead. So up the mountain they went. We find ourselves in verse 6 of chapter 22. Where it says, Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac his son. Now this, this tells us what about Isaac? He's older. Okay, Isaac's not a baby. It's not like he put it in the car seat, shoved all the wood on top of him and carried it up the mountain. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son, and he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So the two of them walked on together. 
So you have the picture of Isaac walking with his dad, carrying all the wood for the burnt offering. And in Abraham's hand, you have fire and a knife. And up the mountain they go. And Isaac spoke to Abraham, his father, and said, My father! And he said, Here I am, my son. And he said, Behold, the fire and the wood. But where is the lamb for the burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for the burnt offering, my son. So the two of them walked on together. Isaac asked the question that Abraham was trying to figure out himself. He, he asked the question that Abraham had been wrestling with the whole way up. The, the question that Abraham didn't know the exact answer to. You've been there as parents. Your child asks a question and you go, great question. Isaac asked Abraham, hey, hey, hey Dad, Where's the lamb? We're going to offer a burnt offering. I'm carrying all this wood, and, and you've got the fire and the knife, and, and you said we're going to worship and that we're coming back. Where's the lamb? Shouldn't we be bringing it up, or do we need to go find it? Abraham replies in such a confident faith. God will provide. God will provide. Now look what it says. God will provide for who? For himself, the lamb, for the burnt offering, my son. It often gets overlooked. But we would be remiss to, to, to not see Isaac's faith and submission as well. Isaac certainly is old enough to, to wrestle away his dad, who's in excess of 100 years old at this time. He, he certainly could stand there and say, hey, hey, ooh, ooh, I'm not going up there. Listen, if you don't have a lamb, I ain't going. He could certainly have been disobedient. But he, he trusts his father. He walks with his father. He trusts God as well. So we see that in Isaac, that Isaac, the two of them walk up the hill. In verse 9, they came to the place of which God had told him. And Abraham built the altar there and arranged the wood and bound his son Isaac and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Abraham stretched out his hand and took the knife to slay his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, here I am. He, the angel of the Lord, said, do not stretch out your hand against the lad. Do nothing to him. For now I know that you fear God since you have not withheld your son, your only son, from me. Then Abraham raised his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him, a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered him up for a burnt offering in the place of his son. Abraham called the name of that place, the Lord will provide, Jehovah Jireh. As it is said to this day, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. And a couple interesting things here you see. It, it, first, you, again, you can't miss the agony, the turmoil that had to be going on as the climax of the situation comes. And, and, and Abraham lays him down. Isaac willingly lays down. He binds him and he picks up the knife and he's ready to slay his son. This is not an easy situation. This is not something that we just read over and go, ah, yeah, interesting. No. This is a crisis of faith. This is truly a crisis of belief. As Abraham holds the knife, you have to know everything he knows of God is on the line. 
and his trust in God is put to the test. It's a test of his affections. Who is he more affectionate of? Is he, is he love Isaac more, his son, his dear and precious son, his loved son? Does he love him more? Or does he love his God more? So Abraham lifts the knife. The angel of the Lord, it says. The angel of the Lord, Yahweh, the covenant keeper, Yahweh. Previously in the passage, Elohim is used, God. But now, the term for God is Yahweh, the covenant-keeping Lord, called to him and said, Abraham, Abraham, here I am. Here I am. I remember my promises, and I will keep my promises. Do not slay your son. Don't lay a finger on him. Or Abraham, here's something. The background looks, and there's a ram. Verse 13 We have the first biblical reference to a substitutionary sacrifice. Where Abraham takes the ram that's caught in the thicket and lays it on the altar in the place of Isaac. And he sacrifices the ram and he names the place the Lord will provide. The Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. He does not name it, I have great faith. He does not name it, watch me obey. He does not name it, Abraham is the man. Abraham is the obedient one. Abraham is your father. Follow Abraham and salvation is in him. He does not name it any of that. He names it, the Lord will provide. In the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. This place in which in the future Jerusalem would be founded, this Solomon's temple would be, the place where our Savior would be handed over to be crucified. Abraham named thousands of years earlier, in the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. It will be provided. Listen to verse 15. Then the angel of the Lord called to Abraham a second time from heaven and said, By myself I have sworn. There's no one else God could... (laughs) could have sworn by by himself no one else is worthy by myself i have sworn declares the lord because you have done this thing and have not withheld your own your son your only son indeed i will greatly bless you and i will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens as the sand which is on the seashore and your seed shall possess the gate of their enemies in your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice you have obeyed my voice. Listen to Galatians 3.16 the, the, at the end of the passage that Ricky read. Paul says, Now the promises were spoken to Abraham to, this, to his seed. He does not say unto seeds, as referring to many, but rather to one and to your seed. That is Christ. Paul says, listen, when God speaks here in verse 18, when he says, In your seed all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, he's looking forward to Christ. He's saying, In your seed. I will bless the nations and it will be through my Savior, through my Messiah. I will send the Messiah and he will bless the nations. Now do you see here, all all the, the, the words of 16 through 18, they should ring a bell. They're reminiscent of what we heard in the original promise. God did not waver. God did not change his promise. All throughout it, God's word and God's promise was the same. 
Abraham, I'm going to make you the father of many nations. I'm going to bless the nations of the earth through you. It was the same throughout all of Abraham's life. That did not change. God was faithful. God was faithful. Abraham went up and down, up and down. He had good times and bad times. He came to the pinnacle, the crisis, the test. He navigates it. He accomplishes it. He goes through it. He exerts his faith. And God reminds him of the same promise. And he says, I will bless you, Abraham. I will bless you, and generations to come will be blessed by you, by your seed. Listen, do you understand? You need to see this, parents, that, that Abraham's obedience, Abraham's faith had generational implications. Generational implications. God is a generational God. Your obedience to God today has implications and makes an impact on generations to come. That is why it's important to be faithful at home. That's why it's important to follow God with all your heart, to love Him wholeheartedly, parents. It's because the love of God and the words of God have to be on our heart first before we can teach them diligently to our children. Once it's on our heart, then we teach them. Why? Because we want to see generations to come following the Lord. So that now we have this, this testimony of Abraham, this testimony of faith, this testimony of God's provision. There's three things I want you to take away quickly this morning. Three things. Jot these things down. Here's the first takeaway, is that God will test your faith. God will test your faith. It's going to happen. It's a, you know, God does test. He's not going to tempt you, but he will test you. It may be difficult, and it may be painful. Don't think for a moment that Genesis 22 was not difficult and painful for Abraham. Not a moment. This was a difficult day. This was a painful day. Abraham didn't get the notice or the memo that this was a test. This is something that the, the author of Genesis writes. It says, now it came about after these things that God tested Abraham and said to him, there, there wasn't anything. Abraham didn't get an email and said, hey, listen, uh, God's testing you right now. We want to see how you do. He didn't get that. All Abraham got was, um, go take your son, your only son, to the, to the land of Moriah and sacrifice him. That's all Abraham got. He was being tested. He had a choice. What would he do? James 1, 2 to 4 says, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness or endurance, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. God will test you. God will test you. He's not going to give you a flashing neon sign that says you're, you're being tested but God's going to bring you to a point where you're met with a situation that you don't know how to, how, to, how to reconcile, how to navigate. And in that moment, you have to do what Abraham did. You have to step forward in the power of God, by the grace of God, and exert your faith. He's shown himself to be worthy. He's shown himself to be faithful. He's shown himself to be the provider. Trust him. Trust him. Step forward in faith in what you know to be true, regardless of what the circumstance looks like regardless of how difficult and painful it may be. Number two, genuine faith is active faith. Genuine faith is active faith. James 2. James, James says that Abraham's faith was perfected in this moment at Moriah. 
In Abraham, we see the power of divine grace that enables the believer to, faith, to actively trust in God. Listen, I, I don't know how Abraham did that outside of God's grace in his life. I don't know how he could have done it. But Abraham trusted God. He trusted God. Here's a final takeaway. Is that at Moriah, God provided a substitute, but more importantly, He has provided a substitute for you and I in Christ. He has provided a substitute in Christ. Listen, we have the benefit of looking back on Genesis 22 from the shadow of the cross. You and I who are believers, we've experienced God's grace in our lives. Our lives have been transformed by His grace. And we look back and we see Genesis 22 and we have a greater understanding of what happened. We have a greater understanding of this, this divine foreshadowing that prepared God's people to have an understanding of what was going on at the cross. When God called Abraham to sacrifice Isaac, oh, the love he had for Isaac. But how deep the Father's love for us that he sent his one and only son, his only begotten son, to die for us. How deep the Father's love. What a Savior. What a Savior. As Abraham raises his arm, the voice from heaven shouts, Stop! When the arm of God's wrath is raised over Christ on the cross, there is no one who is able or worthy or going to stop the wrath of God. The wrath of God is fully poured out upon Christ on the cross. Fully poured out. There is no one to stop it. We see the ram as a substitute. A substitute for Isaac. We understand by the grace of God that Jesus Christ is our substitute. We understand that by His plan, before the foundations of the world, God ordained that His Son would die in your place and in my place. That he would raise victoriously from the grave. That all who believe in him and confess him as Lord shall be saved. Praise God. Praise God for his lamb. For the perfect spotless lamb that takes away the sin of the world. For the precious blood of Christ that redeems us. Praise God. Listen, I don't know where you are this morning. Maybe you're in the middle of testing. And you don't know it. Maybe you're in a crisis of belief. The, the call is to exert your faith in God. Trust God. Lean on the things you know to be true about God. And step forward in faith in Him. Follow Him regardless of the difficulty and the pain that you have. Trust His grace. Ask Him. Come before Him and say, God, give me the grace I need to follow you. Give me the grace I need to trust you. And I don't understand, but I'm going to trust your plan. Follow God and know that the testing of your faith will make you complete, Scripture says. Maybe today you find yourself bound in sin. You find yourself bound in the, in the spot that Isaac found himself in. You're, you're bound. You need to understand that Christ is the ultimate substitute. He is the one who stood in your place. And He has promised that if you trust Him, 
you will be saved. But outside of Christ, you will remain bound in sin. You will remain as an object of God's wrath. Trust Him. Trust Him. Confess Christ as Lord today. Let's pray. Father, we come before you. We thank you, God, that you are the great provider. God, here in in Genesis 22, we see clearly of your provision. That upon Moriah, you provided for one of our patriarchs, God, for Abraham. And he rejoiced in that. He trusted you. So God, in, in whatever situation we find ourselves in, may we trust you as our provider. That you would see to it that your will is carried out and your plan accomplished. Strengthen us to act in faith. God, I pray for those in here tonight or this morning who do not know you. I pray that you would do a work of salvation in their lives. God, let them see the Lamb, Jesus Christ, and behold Him. That after this day, they could rejoice and sing as we're about to. Hallelujah. What a Savior. It's in the name of Christ we pray.